Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host today, Joshua Black, the one doing the Grief Dreams research at Brock University. And our guest host, uh, Jade, couldn't be uh, on today, and Sean couldn't come on. So um, it's going to be just me, me and the guest today. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. So I'd like to thank you, first of all, for just tuning in and listening. If you're a continued listener, thank you so much. We appreciate your support. And if this is your first time, feel free to look back at some older podcasts if, you, if this is of any enjoyment to you. And I always go back to the, if you like grief dreams in general, if you go back to our update episodes of the grief dreams, so I think they're called uh, grief dream recap episodes. We have a couple, we have four uh, so far. So check those out. Those are always amazing. I enjoy listening to those on my off, off time. And so for today, uh, I'm going to introduce the guest, Andy Zaremba, uh, who is a leader in the human consciousness and optimization community. Uh, in 2013, Andy and his brother Mike partnered to create the Float House franchise, Canada's leading flotation therapy centers, which now have eight locations across Western Canada. In addition, Andy co-hosts with his brother Mike the Vancouver Real podcast. Andy is a father to Ella Faith, uh, in, who is a seven-year-old uh, girl whose miraculous birth and survival have been key to Andy's personal growth and dramatically changed the trajectory of his life. This personal growth eventually led him to launch both the Float House and Vancouver Real podcast. So just there's so much in there. I can't wait to get to But first of all, thank you, Andy, for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I had a, a really great conversation with your co-host, Jade, a couple months ago. And um, I'm looking forward to interviewing you when you actually make your way out to Vancouver. Yeah, that's a, that's a plan. I want to, I'll come down there when I'm a doctor. And uh, so I'm hoping cool. either, yeah, either probably January, February, that's the first place I want to go. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get that done. We love having really, you know, well-educated high-end guests on the show. So you'll be more than welcome to come out. Amazing. Well, thank you for the opportunity that's coming. And yeah, I, uh, I, I watched Jade's one. It's actually on our website. So people want to check that out um just go to jade's bio and there's a we'll do the the clip there of of her on the podcast and yeah it was really good you guys do a great job and you guys really incorporate video and that's what we're just starting to like play around with so it's cool how you have like all the different like i guess media stuff uh, worked out yeah i think video is it's an important part but think about podcasts most most of its listenership most people listen on their commute or when they're home doing some chores around the house and it really fills that dead time in their life when they can actually you know, have a convert or listen to a conversation with somebody and maybe learn something. But uh, the video aspect is nice more for the promotional purposes, especially for um, avenues like YouTube and Facebook, where uh, it's really visually important to have something that people can watch. But typically people aren't going to sit there and, and watch like an hour and a half long interview on Facebook. So we'll, sit, we'll basically like isolate one little clip and that'll lead to the rest of the podcast and sort of like a teaser to, to get them to listen to the audio. Cause I think the audio is, is the most important element for sure. So you find you get more downloads from the audio than the, uh, the visual? Uh, usually, usually. And once in a while we do have like a, a, a YouTube video that'll do really well, but, um, for the most part, the audio is higher. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would figure that too. Yeah. And you're right. Cause there is that, that dead time when you're driving or doing whatever that it's just easy to sort of, you know, listen to the guests, especially you said they are like, usually around an hour, if not more. So I think it's really useful for people. I think like just having, um, you know, podcasts and audiobooks especially really do give people a new opportunity. Like in, in the past, you know, you might be reading a book or you might, uh, you know, have a newspaper or maybe listen to the radio, but you can actually like with audiobooks and podcasts, you can really do some extracurricular learning on your way to work or when you're folding the laundry or cooking or whatever you're doing at home. And I think it's, it's super interesting because it's just this new form of education where, you know, personally I've, I've, I found podcasts and audios to be, to be huge in just my own, uh, my own personal education outside of uh, like the formal education system. And uh, that's how we actually were re-inspired to do our business float house. And it's because we were listening to Joe Rogan. And this was probably back in like 2010. And, you know, back in the early days when he wasn't quite as popular, still popular, but not like getting 100 million downloads per month or whatever it is that he gets now, uh, you know, he started talking about flotation therapy. 
And we're like, oh, right. And it reminded me of what I actually, I had heard about it before, but I'd never tried it. And I really wanted to try it after listening to Rogan describe it. And the cool thing about hearing it on a podcast is because it's not necessarily like a mainstream source of information. I find that those sorts of uh, resources are really useful for entrepreneurial types because a lot of times they're going to be talking about ideas that have not hit the mainstream yet. So it can give you a bit of a jump on the competition if, you, if you're looking to start a business or some sort of entrepreneurial venture on your own. And, and that's exactly what happened with Float House. Like basically we heard of floating and we were sort of the early adopters because we heard about it before most, it was on most people's radars. And then we went ahead and opened before most people even really knew what it was. So we really got ahead of the competition that way. So I find like, you know, it's an interesting era with, with podcasts and audios because it gives people an opportunity. It gives them a new opportunity to transform some of that dead time into potentially way more productive time. You know what I mean? Yeah, to, to learn and to, especially if you're, yeah. you're trying to grow, like I said, there's all sorts of different podcasts and it's actually, it's just, it's amazing how many there are now. I'm guessing when you guys first started oh. or, you, or you were listening to Joe Rogan, it said it hasn't taken off, but now it's like, it's everywhere. And it's just, you know, it's a way, it's a new way to get your message out, as you said, which before you had to like, totally. you had to use sort of either the newspaper or you had to be on TV, but now you don't. And so technology has changed the way we get our information. Absolutely. I, I think the last time I heard there was around 1 million podcasts available on iTunes. I'm sure that's even more now. And the cool thing about that is that you can basically search for any subject or anything you want to learn about at all. And it's going to pop up and bang, you can be listening to whatever you want to learn about, which is, which is really cool, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, for the, even for this one, like people will search out grief dreams or dreams and or grief and it'll pop up and and that's amazing right so people who wouldn't know maybe about the topic just by searching some of those keyword terms will find it i'm guessing you know similar to you too right if someone's in vancouver they'll type in vancouver and you're i don't know if you is there any other podcast in vancouver because uh, i'm thinking oh there's, there's a couple one. but, but yeah. they're they're more niche i would say like there's one called the vancouver real estate podcast uh so it's mm. obviously talking about real estate but, um, you know, we're very, we're more generalized, but we do have some recurring themes. Uh, but I'd say like, overall, we're, we're really heavy in like the personal development space, if you want to call it that. And then I would say like entrepreneurship, uh, health and wellness, and uh, like, you know, mindfulness, meditation, that sort of thing. Like that's, that's where we're really dominant in those sort of subject matters. But it basically all goes along with our own personal interests. Like whatever Mike and I want to learn about, we'll, we'll seek out a guest and, and have some sort of an expert come in on that subject. And it's great because we get to sit down and ask them any questions that we, we might have. And unfortunately, like I'm sure if we have those questions, other people have those questions too, and they can listen in and, and hopefully learn something from it. So yeah, Vancouver Real has been an awesome journey all in itself. Um, and it's been cool because like not everyone is gonna wanna float. Like our business float house, like I said, is all around flotation therapy. And if anybody wants to know more about what that is, they can go to our website, website floathouse.ca, or you can go to YouTube and type in uh, what is floating, and that'll take you to a short seven-minute synopsis video of what uh, flotation therapy is, a little bit about the history, and some of the benefits you can receive from it. But um, not everyone's going to be into that. Not everyone is into, you know, locking themselves, not locking themselves literally, but putting themselves into a black box with water in it and diving deep into say their subconscious, right? It, it can be an intimidating thing for some people. A lot of people are into that. People who are really into like introspection or meditation, personal development, or people use it for pain management as well. But um, the podcast has really opened up more avenues for us to attract different people in who might not normally uh, be into that kind of thing. That's interesting because you really have to raise awareness on floating. Because I didn't really hear about it till you know, Sean, the co-host, uh, was talking about it, and so I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting." So, what actually is floating for those people who don't know? So, what it is is it was, you know, originally it was called sensory deprivation, which turned out to be a completely inaccurate term, and then it was sort of redefined uh, as rest or restricted environmental stimulus therapy, and that's a mouthful. So, most people just call it floating, but the whole idea behind it is we're trying to reduce as much sensory input coming into your body as possible. So 
basically in a float tank, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, you can't really feel anything, and you, you're not really affected by gravity as much. So there's no sight, no sound, no tactile, tactile sensation, and you're floating effortlessly on top of the water because the water is actually super saturated with 900 pounds of Epsom salt. So you float effortlessly just like you would in the Dead Sea. And the whole point, again, is to minimize sensory input. And why did you do that? Well, it turns out when you, when you block out all the distractions going on in your life, then it opens up a whole new world of possibility within your own mind. First, the process really starts with like, you know, seeing what sort of repetitive thoughts come up, implementing sort of a, a mindfulness meditation practice well in the tank, learning how to calm everything down, slow down your thinking. Um, and then it goes into more of like a, I would say a consciousness exploration avenue where, you know, you're, you're really sort of seeing what makes you tick and seeing what is coming up. And it's really, it's a lot easier to do that when you sort of block everything else out and uh, you're really, you really become aware of what's going on inside of you physically and in your mind as well. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never tried it, but that's something I would love to try and, and see I mean, where the mind goes when all the distractions are, are gone. That's interesting. And what, totally. uh, yeah. what, what benefits do you see uh, from people who float? Well, the main benefits people use it for are, I'd say, stress management, pain management, uh, creativity, and of course, like supplementing um, a meditation practice. Um, but the new research that's coming out around, out around it now is out of this institute called LIBER, which stands for the Laureate Institute of Brain Research. And what they're doing now is looking at it as a potential treatment for people with anxiety disorders. And what they're finding is that uh, they're seeing significant improvement from people who enter the tank and they have all these measures and indicators of like state anxiety. And then they're finding that people who, who after one session of application therapy can drastically reduce the amount of anxiety they're experiencing. So the first study was, it was only 50 participants, so fairly small, but it looked very promising for floating to become a potential treatment for anxiety disorders. Now, one of the hurdles, of course, for people who have anxiety could be the fact that it's in an enclosed tank or cabin, which can trigger sort of claustrophobia fears. But for the most part, once people actually get in, they start calming themselves down, they start down-regulating their system, activating that parasympathetic nervous system, you're actually activating what's called the relaxation response. So, you know, within, like, say, stress physiology, you have the you know, the relaxation response, and you also have the stress response. So the stress response is what's preparing you for fight or flight, that, you know, pumping up stress hormones, increasing your heart rate, getting you prepared to do whatever you need to do. And the relaxation response is the opposite of that. So when you go into the float tank, you're actually activating the relaxation response, which gives your body time to, say, process some of the cortisol and some of those stress hormones that have been pumped out into your system. And it really does start like, again, down-regulating your central nervous system to help people calm down. And that's one of the, I think, the bigger therapeutic uses that, that, can, that floating can facilitate. But then it's also just like, the, again, the, like the pain management aspect of it is really huge because you're, you're weightless. So if somebody has like arthritis or joint pain and that sort of thing, uh, fibromyalgia is a big one. Um, and there's other odd ones out there that come in from time to time and they use it simply because they find that uh floating basically is the only thing that provides them any relief for pain but personally like i i like to use it for again the more meditative aspects i really like to go in there and and see like what my mind is, is telling me repeatedly and i find typically like if there's something that's screaming at me over and over and a thought keeps coming up uh it's usually something that i have to deal with in my own life and it's a way for sort of me to like categorize and put things away in files and be like, okay, I've identified this thing that I need to address or work on. I can put that aside. And then it helps me organize my thinking a little bit. And it really does help when you're in that really, um, well, sensory reduced environment because, well, there's nothing abstracting you. So all those things become very prevalent uh, into your awareness that anything that you might need to bring attention to really. That's nice. So you said like it's it's good for pain management, but it's also good for, you know, really sitting with yourself. 
and experience Absolutely. what that yeah. feels like. Because I think, yeah, you're right. Like in our society, it's really about um, sensory overload. And, you know, especially oh, with the kids, yeah. I mean, oh, the kids now, right? Like <laughs> there's they got everything kids, on the iPhone. Kids for iPhone. sure. But I mean, we're, you know, we have so much information coming at us all the time now, especially because of smartphones. We have so many different notifications coming in at us. And uh, I think that it is a lot for people to handle. And I think from what I understand, like the rates of depression and the rates of anxiety are all, all going up, uh, which is interesting because we actually live in some of like the best times, especially North America, to be alive as a human being. Like we have like the most abundant resources, you know, the poverty is at its lowest levels that it ever have been, where like, like violence is basically like, lower than it ever has been in the course of human history so it's like we live in these really great times yet we have this perception of like stress and anxiety and, and a lot of people live in that and we know like mental health issues are definitely a, a huge thing these days so i think anything that we can do to sort of get away from on that that unplug especially in an urban environment like it's very easy to like go out into nature and go for a hike go swimming whatever go through a walk in the mountains but when you're in an urban environment and you can't necessarily get away from that, I find a float tank is ideal just to completely decompress from uh, what's going on in your in your day to day life. That's so interesting. I'm I'm curious how how do you think this would be for those who are grieving? Like, would it be too much for them? Like, do people come in and ever state anything about you know using that to to help cope? Definitely. Um, it's interesting because. If there were one caveat to meditation, it would be if somebody had some sort of like severe PTSD and they were reliving that traumatic event over and over again. And that can definitely happen in the float tank as well. So if something was like really coming up for uh, an individual in the float tank, we had, I remember that we had this one client who had, she had survived some sort of attack where somebody was actually trying to, to kill her. And she kept like reliving that experience over and over in the tank. And she kept seeing the, the individual's face come up over and over and she had to get out. So it's like, I think in a case like that, it's probably best to not confront it over and over because you might be essentially like reinforcing that negative experience. So in extreme cases, I think that would be the one warning if somebody was dealing with something like that. But even still, it, it can be a chance for that individual to process those sort of traumatic events that have happened to them. Or if it's not as traumatic, but let's say it's like the loss of like a loved one, which can definitely be painful, maybe not as like traumatizing as like an act of malevolence, but still definitely very hard to deal with. Again, I think it can help you sort of process those emotions and, and really uh, really think about like, you know, potentially analyze, well, what are some of the great things that I can remember about this person? What are the happy memories I can remember? And it sort of does really highlight like where you, you're slanted. Like a lot of people are slanted to look at maybe the more negative side of the spectrum, I think. And I think human beings are sort of hardwired for that. But if you can bring awareness to that and you can maybe flip your thoughts around and and get some kind of closure and acceptance around what happened, I feel like you can potentially use it as a tool to, to help remember some of the, the really happy memories you might have with that person. So um, I think it can, it can be a tool to help you to really deal with grief if you're willing to sort of work through it. Like with any type of introspective experience, be it in a flotation tank, meditation, maybe through a psychedelic experience, they're not always easy, right? But that's not necessarily the point. The point is to be able to look at those things, process them, and, and look at them through a different lens, potentially, to help you move through them. I like that. I know a lot of um, organizations are using meditation with the bereaved. So, yeah, it's just like another yeah. approach to that, another technique that people may, may find helpful. And I think that's interesting. That, you know, as we continue to, you know, develop and, and learn, you know, more and more different ways and opportunities are coming up to say, hey, try this, see if it fits well with you uh, and helping you sort of grow and and heal uh, from your from your grief. I'm curious because I can only imagine if someone's in a place where they can't touch or feel or sense 
like they usually do. They might have hallucinations. Is that an experience people have? Yes, it can happen for sure. You know, what happens typically in a flow tank is you're, you're bringing down your brainwave state from like beta and alpha to more in that alpha theta zone, right? And you, you might slip into delta, which is like a deep unconscious sleep, but typically you're going to hover within that alpha theta state. And when you get into theta, that's when you can start getting into, say, uh, you might start getting some dream-like imagery. Uh, you might start getting like some auditory hallucinations coming in. So you can definitely experience those things. And some people do have quite a bit of like visual um, hallucinations come up, but a lot of it is auditory as well. And, and, and it's, it's very interesting. It's an interesting state of consciousness to be in. Um, typically when you're in that sort of alpha theta state or even heavier in the theta brainwave, you know, this is, I guess this is sort of my own theory, but it's, I feel like what's actually happening in there is it's potentially increasing the permeability between like the conscious and maybe the subconscious mind. So things that are sort of under the surface that might be, might've been percolating under there. I feel like they can start bubbling up when you start kind of relaxing and, and, and shutting things down a little bit. In fact, like I, I believe in dream states and you could probably correct me on this if I'm wrong, but some people think that within a dream, a lot of it is like um, messaging from like potentially the subconscious. So it's like there's, there's elements within your dream, which if you can sort of pay attention to, can can give you some insight into like what's going on uh, within your subconscious mind. Is that correct? Yeah, that's one theory, right? There's a lot of theories, but that's, that's one of them. Right. So I feel like when you get into, um, I feel like when you get into a flow tank and you're into that state, you can definitely start experiencing some of those things, which again, might give you some insight into like, what are some of the things that might be that, that you might need to address in your life or things that um, you might need to even let go of if it happens to be like a, a painful memory or, or have some gain some acceptance around. Yeah, I can see the bereaved, um, maybe hearing the deceased or seeing them or even recovering memories they thought they forgot in that place. You know, like it's just because it's a very interesting yeah. place you're you're putting yourself in. Um, and that's why the same Definitely. thing with dreams. It's a very interesting state you're in and this stuff comes up with the deceased and with these dreams. And so I'm curious to see how that would uh, play out also in the, uh, the float tank. That's interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so we talked about floating, which is super cool, and uh, you know makes me want to do it even more. Um, but I want to actually go back to before this all, before you became the Andy we all know right now, <laughs> way back when before floating existed. <laughs> um, who were you, the Andy? That we all. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Who, who were that? you? Who were you um, prior to being a father? Because being a father changed you, and I want to talk about that. So, who are you prior to being a father? Yeah, I would say that I was definitely more self-centered. Um, you know, at that time, I was just getting into business and starting my, I, I say my, my getting more into my career and, and my life path. But, um, you know, being a father is one of those things that is completely life-changing. And uh, in my circumstances as well, it was, it was it definitely a rocky uh, way to a rocky introduction into parenthood. Um, like my daughter was born uh, 1.9 pounds. She's premature. She was born um, out of the country in the Cayman Islands, actually. And we had quite a, a rough start. She was actually in a, a neonatal intensive care unit for 10 months before she was able to come home. And then like ongoing like interventions and stuff like that afterwards. So it was, it was quite a rough start. And, and it really has like, continued from essentially the moment she was born to this day like that has that has never really ended um so you know before i would say i was you know i was when i came to bc originally my my first big goal was i wanted to make a million dollars that was my goal that's what i really wanted to do in life like i had i even printed off like this this fake million dollar bill and i had it on the dashboard of my vehicle at the time and i'm like I'm just going to visualize this and it's going to happen. You know what I mean? And, and of course I started along like getting into business and, and working towards those, those goals. Um, so I would say, I would, I would say I was just more into 
uh, myself and, you know, I wouldn't say anything terrible. Like I was, I definitely like into traveling and vacation and I definitely go out and party more than I, I do now and that sort of thing. But when you have a kid, I think that your priorities drastically shift and, you know, some people might resist that. And I think there's quite a few cases where people run away from having a child, but like, if you can sort of accept that and let it change you, I believe it's going to put you on a path that is way more enriching and fulfilling than if you're just strictly like living for yourself. You know, one of the big things that I focus on these days is, is purpose and meaning and how do we find that in our lives? And, and one of the easiest ways to do it is to, is to simply start, stop like living and doing things only for yourself. If you can, if you can help somebody else, if it's maybe just your child or it's a group of people or you're inspiring someone or, or if you have purpose in, in helping others, I mean, you're going to have so much purpose and meaning that you, you won't have to search for it, like picking up that responsibility. And by having a child, you're absolutely, and, and seeing the course, you're absolutely going to pick up that responsibility. And when you see that you become everything to that child, and they, they look up to you literally as like God, like everything that you, you do, they're, they're watching and they're emulating and they rely on you so heavily, especially in the earlier years. And at least for me, when I, when that, when that happened, it just, I realized that, well, no matter, you know, let's say I was in a really bad spot. Like there's no other option for me anymore. Like, you know, in the past I've deal I've dealt with say, uh, depression and suicidal thoughts and that sort of thing. But now it's like, well, as long as this little person's here, like I, I don't have an exit anymore, which is interesting because it's like now there's no out. And no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, you have to stick it through because there's somebody that really depends on you. And I think that's really like how having a child changes you. I think it's just, it's, it's one of the, the hardest, but also one of the most meaningful things that I've ever experienced. Wow. Wow. That's uh, it's beautiful to hear that um, just being a father and, and it really taking on that identity, that role. Um, Cause some people just don't want it, um, but they are, it. but you wanted it and you allowed it to shift you. And I think that's beautiful um, because well, honestly, I, I don't, yeah. I don't actually, to be honest, um, I, I, before I had a child, like, no, she was an unexpected pregnancy. And like, I was in that mindset of, of not necessarily wanting children because of how much it does change your life. Like you literally, you know, you are spending way more time at home. You're not going out on weekends. You're not traveling as much. You're, you're spending like, well, you, the child starts, you know, you put all their needs first. So originally I'm, I, I at the time I didn't even, uh, I, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. At, at that time, I was like 28. I, I didn't know if I wanted to have a child or not. But, you know, things happen. Life happens. And it showed, you know, my child showed up. And uh, and then it's like, well, what do you do at this point? You know, and, I, and I, I did feel like I had an overwhelming sense of responsibility that I had to take care of it. And, and now it's like, since that did happen, um, I'm actually very grateful for it. As hard as it has been. It's been ridiculously hard. But I'm, I'm just really happy that uh, I've had this experience because I feel like it's enriched my life so much more than if I was just running around, you know, traveling and going from bar to bar or whatever. You know, I, I feel like that experience is much more fulfilling. Yeah, it's interesting what we think is happiness at certain levels in our life. And then as you That's move true. forward and, and you grow, like what you feel is happy and what makes you joyful changes. And and you can you can see yourself in this new stage of joy that you never could have got to in your in your previous sort of um, model of how you saw yourself. And so I'm really curious, since totally. at, that, at that time, said so you're still trying to, it was all about you, as you focus about me, 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 and trying to get your million dollars. <laughs> and then you yeah. have this, this birth that wasn't going as planned at all, right? Uh, could you take us through you know, what that was like for you, like in that sort of, say that first, what'd you say it was six months? Uh, we were, well, we were in, we were in the, the NICU 10 months. for 10 months. Yeah. 10 months. So yeah. can you take, take me through like, 
sort of how you were coping with that, because this was before floating, before you were in personal growth. So could you take us through the emotions that you're going through at that time? Incredibly stressful, incredibly stressful, for sure. You know, it's day in and day out. Uh, you're going to the hospital every single day. I, I was actually still working at the time. So I would, I would work, you know, during the working week. And then I would be going there every evening until, you know, my, my daughter went to sleep. Then I'd wake up and I'd do that again. And for the entire 10 months she was in the hospital, I believe I, I missed two days. So you're doing that routine for an extended period of time. And one of the, one of the common things that parents experience in the NICU, and it's partially because of like how stressful it is, uh, they, a lot of them do actually start showing PTSD symptoms. And it's because like, you know, you're going in there one, one morning, everything's fine. And then with these premature babies, they're, they're so fragile that, you know, by that afternoon, they might have gotten some infection and then they're isolated and then they're put on a ventilator and then they're fighting for their life. So you're, you're dealing with this repeatedly over the course of the time that you're in there. And it's, it's just incredibly stressful. And it's, it's a grind. Like, not only is it like you have these uh, peaks and valleys of emotions, but you also have just the, the flat out effort it takes to be there all the time and the constant, well, this, this isn't going away and you, this is always on your mind. It's a lot, it's a lot of stress, but fortunately it was, like you said, it was before floating, but I had actually adopted quite a bit of meditation and a mindfulness practice before that time. And I really got into, um, what really was my gateway into mindfulness and meditation was Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now. And it's such a, a common book these days. And it is, it is sort of a simplified version of what you could call mindfulness, I guess. But it was, for me, super epiphanal, realizing that like, oh, right, we only actually do have the present moment and the past and future don't actually exist. Like when I had that sort of realization that you could really tap into the present moment, and, and get out of your mind and stop necessarily predicting all of the worst things that are going to happen or dwelling on past events that were potentially negative and you could be more present, it really did help cope with that situation. So when I did find myself in, in more stressful times, even at the most stressful time, the day when my daughter was born, we had, uh, she was born and we had to wait about, oh, I can't remember exactly, like a good eight hours at least until we actually got her on an air ambulance, a plane to fly to another island that actually had a proper NICU because we were out of the country, like I said. And even within that time, we're, I'm on this plane, we're flying towards another island to go to the NICU. And I just sat there and I got really present, basically went into a meditative state and just calmed it all down. And it's just so important to be able to emotionally regulate ourselves that way especially when we're in stressful situations because literally like I, I i could have been a patient that day i could have had a heart attack who knows right because when you're when you're that stressed anything can happen so i was utilizing these mindfulness the simplest mindfulness techniques that you can that you can think of to help me get through that period and it, it, it's as simple as it can be like you basically pay attention to your breath Pay, pay attention to physical sensations in your body, calm it down, try to slow down the chatter of your mind a little bit by paying attention to what's going on to your body and doing that repeatedly. Like your mind is going to go off and start thinking all these different thoughts and then just let it do that. Like detach yourself from those thoughts, detach yourself from the mind and bring it back to your breath, bring, it, bring your attention back to your breath, back to your body. And you just do that over and over. And I really does I really do think that helps you really align and become more in tune with the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, typically things are okay. Generally, you're not in a major uh, threat. There's no major crises in the present moment most of the time. And if you can bring yourself there, it really does help manage stress. So that was, that was probably the biggest tool I used while I was going through that period in the NICU. And also it was, Again, podcast. I mean, you're in there for a long time, hours and hours on end. Half the time, you know, the baby is sleeping. So it's like, oh, well, what are you going to do with that time? Well, I started playing chess, a lot of chess on my phone. 
and I started listening to podcasts. And funny enough, that when around that time is when Joe Rogan launched his podcast. So I started listening to him. And the coolest thing about it was not only did I get the idea or get rekindled of this idea of floating, it made me feel like I had a peer group, which was so strange because it's like, of course, I don't know Joe Rogan. He doesn't know me. I don't know anybody in his podcast. Chances of me meeting Joe Rogan in person, well, who knows? It might happen one day. But like, I felt like I was part of the conversation. And I felt like I was there with a group of friends just having a conversation and having a good time. And it was an awesome mental escape just to, to have a resource like that. I could flip on on my phone with some headphones quietly in the room. And not to mention, I, I felt like those people were like were a lot like me. Like they, they had a lot of similar interests. They were into the same things. And it, it's a funny sort of attachment you gain to the people when you start really listening to them on a podcast. Because it's like um, you really get to know the intimate details of their life. And you'll know so much about a person and you've never even met them. So again, like resources like Mindfulness Meditation, podcasts, things like that definitely really helped me get through that period. And then, of course, when it was over, uh, going back into my regular life, I tend not to get as stressed out about little things as I did before. You know, when you go through a really big experience like that, like the death of a loved one or, or someone being hospitalized or even yourself, if you happen to be in a situation, uh, you know, it changes the spectrum in which you perceive trauma, if you want to call it that, or stress. And when you know, when you're in an extremely stressful situation, typically, I think that when you go back to your normal life, it sort of turns down the volume on some of the other things that might be really upsetting to some people. Wow, it's, uh, it's pretty cool how you have all these different types of or different uh, ways to, to cope. And I'm glad you had some of those or found some of those along the way, because Definitely. that's a diff- difficult position you're in to sit with someone that you know, you say you're, you have the responsibility of. You're internalizing as you're being a father, and you're, and you're you know as a father, you're trying to protect them. But then you know, like your heart's saying, don't get too close to this. You know, she may die, and you know you're still trying to sort of regulate the emotions, keep your heart open, and then she survives. And so, like, what an amazing feat you did to you know really pull through and be there for her. And then now you can sort of your life is a lot more simpler for you in the sense of what you appreciate and what you're grateful for. So I think, you know, amazing to have to be able to do that at such a young age, because some people just never actually get there. So I think everybody's capable of that. Honestly, like, yeah, I I did that. I went through that. Um, And people go through worse. I mean, it's hard to say what's worse or what, you know, it's hard to compare experiences, I would say. But, you know, I think when, when, when push comes to shove, people are going to choose to, to be there for the ones that they really care for. And I feel like human beings can be amazingly strong, like amazingly resilient, you know? If, and I don't think we even know how much we can actually take sometimes. And I feel like what I did was partially out of necessity, but partially I was forced into that situation. And when you know, your back is against the wall, the will to survive, the will to live is amazingly strong in people. And I think that when you, when you get into those situations, you're going to find a way. No matter who you are, I think that you're going to find a way. And, and I, I, I believe that that's the case for most people. Yeah, for most people, um, but not everyone, you know. And so when you see it in people, I think it's such a beautiful beautiful quality for me to just even recognize right i'm just recognizing like man you want some stuff and some people go the other way you know not everyone makes it through like you've made made it through and to be able to take those lessons as you move forward to help others in in the journey so i think you know it's it's amazing and it's amazing what that's why i think you know grief can be a very beautiful thing in people's lives like it has been for me because it forced me in a place i probably wouldn't i i know i never would have went unless sort of someone died. And so my dad forced me into this position where I had to sort of, be, you know, learn about myself and learn about, you know, and feel the pain of loss and, and I yeah. said, like, all that stuff. And there's beauty in that because by choice, we don't really usually go towards pain. You know, <laughs> it's not, we usually are like running towards something that makes us feel better. We, we tend to move away from pain as much as possible. But again, going back to Eckhart Tolle, or you can use this as an example in many different cases, but pain, I think, is, is the biggest catalyst for change in people's lives. 
right? When things, when things are comfortable, when things are going really well, you know, people, I think, tend to get lazy, especially when it's really good. It's like, you know, if you have your income coming in and everything is running really smoothly in your life right now, that's amazing. And you're not really going to be forced to change. You know, there's definitely cases where someone's going to inspire you and you're going to be, like, oh, I want to be more like that guy or I want to. I want to build this company or have what that person has. But I think that when you do get into these moments of really deep pain and grief and suffering, um, maybe through the loss of a loved one or maybe through, you know, personal failures or when you potentially have health problems down the road, I think that that pain is hugely motivating. And I feel like when you hit it, you're going to do everything that you, you, you can to get away from it, which means like, okay, potentially reevaluating everything in your life, reevaluating everything that you're doing to try to, to improve things and make things a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I'm curious. Um, have you ever experienced a loss yourself? Definitely. I've experienced the loss of three of my, actually all of my grandparents now, sorry, all of my grandparents have passed away. And I think the one that was most impactful was the first one. And that was my grandma. And this was probably back in, oh man, I'd say the late eighties. I, I don't exactly remember right now. It's it so long ago, but I was young and I just remember, I'll never forget when I heard about it, we were actually, uh, my, my dad used to coach at university of Toronto. He's a, a football coach for the university of Toronto. And we used to go down every summer to uh, varsity stadium on the campus of U of T and we used to go and help out the team and be the ball boy and water boy. And at that time, my grandma was like really sick. She had cancer in and out of the hospital. And like, we kind of knew the end was coming. And I'll never forget when my dad told us, we were actually at the stadium, varsity stadium in Toronto. And he just told us that her grandma had died. And I remember we had this moment where like, uh, I think I think all three of my brothers were there, and my dad was there, and it was it was kind of sad. And then I can't really remember exactly like what I did after that, but I specifically remember this moment because it really changed the way I I viewed life. And I was actually in the car with my mom, and I don't remember exactly what where we were going, but I remember. I started getting really upset about the loss of my grandma because I was just like, you know, she helped me a lot. I had an amazing relationship with her. She partially raised me for a few years while my parents were like working. I, she would take care of me. And I thought it was, I remember thinking it was so unfair. It's just so unfair of life, of existence, of God, if you want to call it that, that somebody, that they could give you that. They could give you that love. And then all of a sudden take it away. And then you could never see that person again, no matter what. And I was, I was really upset about that. And I remember I started like pounding the dashboard of the car and I was like crying and just so angry that like, and I just felt it was like so unfair that that, that is a part of life that you're, you can be given something that's like this gift of love. That's so amazing. And like, and, and just, feeds your soul and gives you so much happiness and then it's stripped from you and there's nothing you can do about it. I remember having that lesson really driven home as a child. It changed the way I viewed reality for sure. Um, I, to say exactly how it changed me is, is really difficult, but it, it definitely, I think it hammered home how, how, how precious life is as cliche as that might sound like how how again it could be over at any minute and there's nothing you can do about it right and i feel like it did fundamentally change uh, my outlook on the world and who i was as a person at that time wow that's interesting do you remember how old you were i want to say i was nine or ten that's interesting yeah, around that's then very, that's yeah. very interesting and like throughout that time so like as a kid is there, were there ways or different rituals that, you know, your parents um, did to remember your grandmother? Um, I wouldn't say there were any rituals. No, I would say like, you know, there would be conversation around her and some of the memories that I had of her. And 
I remember my mom would definitely reminisce about like her and how much she missed her and everything like that. But I can't say there were any rituals. I mean, we'd have family moments. We used to have this family uh, property up in Georgian Bay. It was just an empty lot where we'd go camping once a year and our grandparents would always be there. And, um, you know, when we would be in those situations and grandma wasn't there anymore, I, I think it was very interesting. Um, and there was always a, a little bit of a gap. You know, there was somebody missing that used to be there all the time. Uh, and I think just, just things like that or being around my grandpa would be um, times when I'd start thinking about her again. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's uh, and, yeah, as a kid, right? Like experiencing that at such a young age. I know I wasn't close to my grandparents when, when they died. Um, but when you're close to yeah. someone at such a young age and, you know, and, and you got to see your parents, you know, try to figure it out, you know, and I can only imagine the suffering your dad had uh, that, that you saw. Yeah, it, it was my, it was actually my mom's uh, mom. So oh, yeah, your mom? My mom's okay. so your mom would have had the, the more like the deep, deep suffering? I think so. I think so. I, she had a really close relationship with her mom. Like they talked on the phone every single day. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. To this day, she, yeah, she's still like, she's still like you know when she brings her up you can see it in her eyes like that she still misses her mom like she really still does and she has a very close relationship with her i'm not sure if you want to go here but i'm gonna go here and <laughs> it's so interesting so i've gone down and explored plant medicine in particularly ayahuasca and you know they call ayahuasca um the vine of the soul or the vine of the dead and of course there is the the pharmacology behind it and and how that all works and some people can and i think in the more western mind and the more scientific mind they chalk it up to uh strictly a uh you know a drug experience if you will but however that happens i'm not exactly sure it's just being a purely drug experience or potentially there is some sort of spirit behind the plant as they claim to to have it does provide you with a mystical experience and in those mystical experiences, that's when a lot of people can can have potentially healing moments. Like that's in fact what where the, the work that MAPS is doing, the multi multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Right now, they're doing um, trials with MDMA. They're on the, the the stage three clinical trials using MDMA as a way to treat PTSD, the treatment resistant PTSD depression, uh, in conjunction with therapy. And, uh, and the key component to making that successful is having the mystical experience, not necessarily what the drug is doing, but having that mystical experience. And it can be generated through different ways, for sure. Again, through meditation, through ecstatic dance, through yoga, through a float tank. All these different modalities can give you that mystical experience, but that is what can potentially cause the healing. And my brother has actually gone to the same ayahuasca retreat that I have multiple times. He's actually going down there at the end of the week. I just got back from a retreat and um, my, my fiance actually was down there with me in December. And all three of us have had experiences where my grandma came through on ayahuasca ceremonies. So like literally my grandma talked to uh, my brother and just said that everything's okay and said to like say hello to my mom for her. Wow. And I have actually seen her face appear in ceremony. Like I'd be lying there in the Maloka, the Ikaros are, are going and everything's happening in ceremonies and everything's swirling around. And I've seen my grandmother's face appear in front of my face. And uh, my partner, the funny thing is uh, when I proposed to her in Peru, I went up, I climbed up uh, this site called uh, Wena Pichu, which is just outside of Machu Picchu. And I was like deathly ill and I trudged up the site. I'm like, I don't care. I had AMS and I had like a bronchial infection. And I'm like, I, I don't care. I'm doing this. We climbed up this hike, proposed to my partner at the top of Wayne Apichu. And I gave her a ring that's been passed through my mom's side through, um, through like a lineage of her family. I think through from her great grandma was passed on all the way to now my fiance. And I believe at one point it was my grandmother's ring. And she was in, in an ayahuasca ceremony and she had the ring on in the ceremony and she felt like all she could describe it is, as is like love, like coming through the ring 
through her arm all the way up into her and it was a message from my grandma and it was saying that like you know like basically like we're happy that you're here and we're you're you know you're welcome into the family and i think she even like might have tried to deliver a message to my mom and this is all through an ayahuasca experience and again like i said they call ayahuasca literally translates to uh the vine of the soul or the vine of the dead and it's very common for people to experience um encounters with past deceased relatives when in ceremony so i'm not sure if that interests any of your listeners and just as a caveat i should throw this out there if you are going to seek that out a it's illegal in canada b it's not you can go to peru and do it legally um but if you do go to peru you really have to be careful with where you go because there are some people down there that are that are not doing it for good reasons uh in particular for financial exploitation or potentially for power and there has been the case of sexual assault of people in ceremony and also if you happen to be on any sort of like mental health related medications like SSRIs or if you're predisposed to schizophrenia or extreme bipolar disorder or anything like that uh, it's definitely not for you but if you're like a relatively uh, healthy individual it can be something that you can explore relatively safely and you never know you might have an encounter with a past loved one that's interesting you know and i think you're right it's always good to be safe in the sense of, especially if totally. you're in a different country and stuff, and and you're using any kind of drugs, you have to. Um, yeah. I think it. I think it's fascinating how when you're talking about this stuff, it seems really similar to dreams, and so these experiences mm. you're getting, you know, using ayahuasca are and how you're feeling about them, the sense of that love and even messages coming through. That's some of the same stuff I hear about the dreams, you know, and it's like and like so it's like the body's natural way of whatever, getting that. Now, I'm not really sure how dreams uh, sort of occur and what's going on there. Um, when those sort of really big dreams uh, take take hold, I say those mystical experiences um, take hold. Yeah. I'm really curious. So when the when your brother had that experience with uh, your grandmother, with the message to the mo- to your mom, did he tell your mom? He did. He did, eh? He did. What was your mom's and, reaction? Uh, sort of stunned and um, curious. Mm. And, you know, my parents were very, you know, they, they, they were raising us through the 80s through the height of like the prohibition uh, era of, you know, of drug use and everything like that and all the propaganda surrounding that. But um, even despite that sort of negative connotation that she had around drug use, um, she actually did have the idea of potentially going and trying it just to maybe having a chance to speak to her her mom again or at least maybe feeling her or experiencing her again wow that's so interesting and it's very interesting because i think this is the reason why a lot of people go see mediums is to try to connect you know like there's this sort of there's this inner longing to reconnect with our our you know lost loved ones and so and we said like there's different sort of ways people will try and, and do that and same thing with mediums there's a lot out there that you know would you know, you know, do it for power or do it for money. Um, and so it's very right. interesting when it comes to this topic on what is actually going on here. And you see it's the bereaved wanting to reconnect one more time with, you know, with the person who died. And I think, you know, this is why yeah. I think dreams are such a very interesting because it's coming from an internal source. It's not coming from anything external. So it makes it really interesting for me yeah. because there's something internal that's basically clicking on you know if you're remembering one of these dreams um and it has that profound effect on you it can change your life and i've seen it i've seen you know people who are addicted to drugs have a dream and then all of a sudden they quit like they didn't need to do it anymore and you're just like what like what's going on here and that's why i'm so shocked that there's so limited research in this area because it's a natural thing that's going on within our own body but yet we know nothing about it i think it's very cool that you're doing this research and like I recently just got turned on to like some of Carl Jung's work and uh, in his book, Man and the Symbols, I think the first hundred pages of that book are all about dreams and, and what they could potentially mean and what they could potentially be telling you uh, symbolically. And it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not up on dream research, not nearly as much as you, I'm sure. So I'm sure your guests have heard this conversation or at least some of it before, but um, you know, from a shamanic perspective, they believe, and you can take this for what it's worth, but they believe 
that when you enter into the dream world, you're actually entering into different realities. You're entering into potentially different universes or different worlds. And they'll actually, you know, with, again, the shamanism, sometimes they'll, they'll use plants and they'll use that to induce an experience to, to have that sort of experience through other dimensions or worlds, whatever you want to call them. But they'll also do it through shamanic drumming or with a rattle or through dance. And they believe that when you enter into these altered states of consciousness, which are definitely getting into that like hypnagogic or like that theta alpha state of consciousness, which is getting into the dream state, um, they believe that you're actually able to move through different worlds or communicate with spirits or communicate with like loved ones. So again, I'm not sure how much scientific research has been done on that or how much they actually know about it. I'm sure you could, you could articulate this a lot better than I could, but um, like the question for you, like, like you said, they don't know much about it. Like, what do they know? Like, or, I mean, that's probably a way too big of a question to ask at the end of a podcast pretty much, but uh, like, do they have any inclination? Like, is there anything, I guess, is there anything that they don't understand that could open the door to those possibilities? They don't, when it comes to, grief dreams is really very limited research so a lot of the research is actually just coming from uh, what i'm doing over at brock university and so we're at the bare minimum you know like we're just looking at common themes we're looking at how prevalent it is we're looking at you know why are people even having them these are the like basic questions why are some dreams positive and negative what are the function of these dreams right. and then through those you could then explore you know maybe in a you know in an mri or something or what's going on you know in the brain when these experiences are happening because not all dreams are the right. same and that's, that's what's so interesting about them there are these you know traumatic dreams there are these dreams that are just about emotion regulation there are these comforting yeah. dreams about maintaining that continuing bond and that's a lot of people um, who are spiritual will take that as you know visitation kind of dream and so there's all these different types right. of dreams and so it's not like a one-size-fits-all which it makes it very interesting um, and I, the more I look at it, you can see how grief dreams is within many cultures and how beliefs about the afterlife revolve around these dreams. And I just think that's fascinating. So a lot of, a lot of people will have these experiences and then develop uh, a spiritual belief based on that experience they had. I think it's just like, that's why there's yeah. so much more, even like, like I would love, like one of my big plans is to like, look at different cultures, understanding of, of these dreams, because in Christianity, there's no mention of these dreams. But there's a lot of mention of dreams in general. Um, so in in our just huh. you know Western world, it's it's probably why one of the reasons why it's not really um, talked about too much because they don't know how to process it. But in other religions, um, they do talk about it a lot. So it's uh, it'd be kind of cool to see you know as I move forward to to basically do a paper on the cultural beliefs and how they're different um, and similar to one another. I know just by doing some of the, the you know the some of the readings um i've done that the themes are very similar so across culture a lot of the themes are very similar they're having these comforting you know quote unquote you know visitation dreams or just these positive dreams they're also having these negative dreams so it's cross-culturally these things are these dream experiences are occurring but how we interpret them are very different that's really interesting i would love for you to go to peru and study the, the shamans or the the healers, the curanderos, and like their beliefs into it. I'm sure there's some literature out there on like their perception of like the dream world, because that's that's just one like microcosm of a culture that uh, and that do that do interpret dreams in a similar manner to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's super fascinating research. So when you come on our podcast, when you're out here, maybe we can dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, that'd be cool. I uh, look forward to that. And it's it's a new sort of you know like. Um... It's just something really that's driving me because people need to know that there are these differences. Yeah. Like I, I think what the work you're doing is really good because it, it could be a way for people to help process their grief of past loved ones. Like who knows? Like you're like, it sounds very preliminary and you're not making any like assumptions about where it can go, but maybe you speculate when you're not being recorded and like you say, Oh, well, it could have all these, you know, applications. But to me, it sounds like if you, if we learn more about this modality, it could be a way because people really do struggle. Like they struggle a lot with the loss of loved ones completely understandably. And they should, you know what I mean? Of course we're going to struggle with the loss of loved ones, but it's like, you know, that grief can be crippling and it's, and 
I think people can really fall into, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, victim mentality and being like, oh, the reason I'm not moving forward in my life or, or getting past that is because I'm in too much pain because of the loss of a, of a loved one, right? But it's like, yes, that happened. But at the same time, it's like, I'm pretty sure that loved one is not going to want you to sit around wallowing in pity for whatever reason you're making up for the rest of your life. I'm sure that person would love to see you move on and like do something awesome. Right. Yeah. So if it's, if, if what the work you're doing becomes like an avenue for people to help process, you know, that super deep pain, then amazing. Yeah. Well, I already, I, I can see it, you know, and I think that's the beauty of it. It's just now if we can talk about it, people don't feel so shameful or don't seem crazy for believing or having these experiences. And that's the big thing, right? Normalizing the experience. And then from there, it can just do its work, right? Um, so right. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long conversation. All right, so moving forward, um, have you ever had a grief dream of your grandmother? Have I had, no, I, you know what? Never have. I can't say that I have. I can't yeah. say that I have, you know? I've, yeah. I've had moments that, like, um, like waking moments for sure. Um, and I would say mostly now it's of appreciation and like remembering like what she gave us and what she and how she helped my family. And the fact that like, I wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for her, you know, um, just having that appreciation. And then I, and I take that and whenever I find appreciation like that, I'm like, well, how, how can I be grateful for that? And how can I like, spin that into my life in a positive way? And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily mourn her at all anymore. In fact, if anything, I'm just like I use her as a source of gratitude. That's good. I think that's good. And it's interesting um, that you haven't remembered a dream of her yet. And I, I think you know, there's a lot of people that uh, that haven't. So, have uh, have you ever asked your mother or your father or your brothers if they've had a dream of your grandmother? I haven't. I haven't. And I'm, I'm sure my mom has. Like she, she, she does think about this sort of thing all the time. Weird story. When we were actually in Fiji traveling back from a trip to uh, from Australia for a year, it was actually like a day or two before Christmas. This is back in like 95, I think. Um, my mom had a dream of her dad actually the night before he died. And in the dream, my, my mom like had a conversation or actually I think she found she was going through his old basement and found a tape recorder. And she played the tape recorder and it was a message from her dad saying that she like that he's going to die tomorrow and that everything's okay and that everything's going to be fine. But he's wanted to like, say goodbye, basically. And then sure enough, that next day, um, her dad passed away. Wow, that's wild. I've heard yeah. dreams so who like knows that. What that is, wow. But, but I mean, well, they have a bond. I mean, it definitely tells you. Yeah, it definitely says they have a, a very tight bond. And yeah, I'd be curious yeah. to hear if your mom has ever dreamt of her mom. If she had a dream of her dad, you'd think she would have a dream of her mom. But yeah, I would love to hear back on that right. um, when you ask I her. I will. When you're, cool. when you're in Vancouver, I'll let you know. Oh, I got to wait? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I can't call her right now. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah, we have the technology. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, we also have email. It <laughs> does exist. All oh, right. Email. Yeah. <laughs> the listeners won't know. We're going to leave them in suspense. That's true. So that's okay. cool because okay. it's, it's a great, it's great hanger so they can actually kind of tune into the Vancouver Real in a few months. All right. That sounds good then. <laughs> nice. That's funny. Okay. So if you're going to, if you'd, um, if you could have a dream tonight uh, of your grandmother, um, what kind of dream would you want to have? Oh man, I would just want to thank her and be like, you know what, grandma, I, I really miss you and you know what I really want? I would want to have her cream salmon on toast. She mm. would make this amazing cream salmon. It was like the simplest, like, I don't know, like old school, like lunch that they would make back then or whatever. And it was like this cream salmon on toast. And I would love that. And she used to make that for me every day when I would come home from school and I'd eat that. And I was just like, I used to just love it, and she she loved the fact that I loved it that much. So I want to say how much I appreciated her, and then I want to have some cream salmon on toast. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And where would you be? Would you be in her old house? Would you be in your new house? Where would you be? Oh, I probably in, I think in her old house. Like I think I think in the kitchen where I used to eat that that uh, that sandwich basically every day after school. I think right there would be perfect. That's in Toronto, <laughs> up in like where was it? uh north yorkish area 
she had a okay. small little house that they lived in their entire life up there. So it'd be cool oh, to go back and see it. That's cool. No, I, I, I like that imagery. And then I guess the last question I have, what age would you want to be? Do you want to be your age now or do you want to be the child that she knew you as? I want to be my age now. Yeah. I'd, want her, I'd, I'd want her to see like, you know, who I've become from what, what she knew me as. And would you want her to be her age, like when you knew her? Or would you want her to be like in her 30s, like her 40s? I think I'd want her to be the age that I remember her at. That's interesting. I think it's really interesting. I think it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people yeah. that would come on the podcast, they always want to, they don't, they never want them younger and like at their age, they want them like how they remembered them, which I think is very, that's very my remember. That's my memory. Yeah. That's what brings me joy. That makes me, me happy when I think of her. That's I, I, when I think of her, I see her that way. And mm. it's like, that's, you know, that's like, I think if it was a happy dream, that's, that's what would contribute to that happiness, you know? Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. All right. This has been an amazing episode. I absolutely love talking about all the stuff we talked about from floating to your ayahuasca journeys to just your, your life in general and, and how you know you found your way. And that's what I love about the podcast. Thanks. You get to talk about this stuff and hear people's journeys. And I'm glad everything's going well with uh, Ella and, and her journey yeah. to living right and having a father and, and mother and all that sort of stuff. Um, so as as we uh, wrap up, is there a place where people can find you and your float house? Um, do you have any like links you want to shout out? Yeah, I'd love for people to go check out andyzaremba.com or I'm very active on Instagram. That's basically my social media platform of choice. I, I kind of distilled all my activity down to one platform. because I'm just like, this is what I'm doing. So I am at, at andyzaremba on Instagram or then you can go visit floathouse.ca. That's our business. VancouverReal.tv, which is our podcast mantalks.com which is my current new speaking forum as a, a platform to help uh, healthy men's development and then our little side project called mindfulmass.org which is a, a giant mass meditation group that we run quarterly so those are all of my, my websites that I, I work with or through <laughs> that's a lot of stuff you're keeping yourself busy that's for sure <laughs> oh yeah you know you gotta, you gotta make life interesting you know I can see why floating is such a big part of your life <laughs> Oh man, it's so good. But people don't know. They don't even know. Like honestly, if you, if, it takes a little time, but when you can get into it, it becomes incredible. So check out floating wherever you are. If you want to check out float tank wherever you might be listening to this, go to flotationlocations.com, and it's a directory of all the float tanks around the world, basically. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So cool. All right. Thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, this was a real pleasure, and I look forward to floating uh, one day soon. Um, so just wrapping up, uh, just our stuff, uh, check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. You can look us up at Facebook. We have the Grief Dreams Facebook group. If you want to read other people's dreams they've shared, or if you want to share your own dream, it's a great place to do it. Uh, also, Instagram, Twitter, at Grief Dreams. Um, and if you want to share your own journey uh, through grief and, and dreams, uh, feel free to reach out and email us. Uh, as we like to always say, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.